Father, we come again before your throne of grace. We ask that your spirit will guide and direct us. We thank you for your promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we're going to be talking about character this time. And uh, the... uh, a brief review of the light shining now and uh, a little bit from yesterday and some others, but in uh, <clears throat> we talked about justification by faith, and I think I used this yeah, yesterday, liberty of conscience, and then we have priesthood of believers and separation of church and state, religious and civil liberties, capitalism and Economics, the word economics came out of the Protestant Reformation. <laughs> uh, uh, feudalism, of course, they had up at that time, kind of a, a pyramid type thing. With the, you have the serfs on the bottom and you have the pope on the top. And, uh, <clears throat> but anyhow, this, uh, this led to uh, Holland, Brit- uh, Britain, and the United States uh, and Canada, uh, this, this type of thing. So all of this, the United States is a... Uh, product or non-intended consequence of justification by faith. And the whole Western world, as far as that goes, uh, came, uh, comes out of that. But it became the land of the free, at least for a while, and uh, united. We considered that a bit yesterday. <clears throat> and we looked at this, the 1260-year prophecy. Uh, these are the dates in between, of course, that were important. We went over that, so we won't do it now. But the two mysteries that are working have been, and, and uh, one is the mystery of godliness, and the other is the mystery of iniquity. And we talked about how the mystery of godliness is mightier than the, than the mystery of iniquity, uh, because God reaches into the lives of those who are involved in the mystery of iniquity and changes them. <laughs> And we, uh, I think I had a statement yesterday, the devil marvels. He can't figure it out. He scratches his head how, how God can change a person from the mystery of iniquity and become a part of the mystery of godliness. But this is one of the statements we read. I'll read it again. It's a good one. The Lord Jesus is making experiments on human hearts through the exhibition of his mercy and abundant grace. He is effecting transformation so amazing that Satan, with all his triumphant boasting, with all his confederacy of evil united against God and the laws of his government, stands viewing them as a fortless impregnable to his sophistries and delusions. They are to him an incomprehensible mystery. Glad to hear that. (laughs) The angels of God, seraphim and cherubim, the powers commissioned to cooperate with human agencies, look on with astonishment and joy that fallen man, once children of wrath, are through the training of Christ developing characters after the divine similitude to be sons and daughters of God to act an important part in the occupations and pleasures of heaven. I had another statement yesterday. I didn't didn't put it back in again. But uh, Ellen White speaks about God using human beings to repopulate heaven. And the devil hates it. Uh, I mentioned yesterday that uh, angels cannot reproduce uh, that's the gift that God has given to the human family. And, uh, and he's using that to repopulate. You know, this means billions of people because there were billions of angels that fell with Lucifer. 
And so, and the Bible talks about the number of the saved will be as the sand of the sea. Uh, you know, we'll be able to count them. So it has to be billions. They're not going to reproduce in heaven, but they're going to. Well, we'll need for it in heaven. All the names, yeah. The what? Yeah, right now. I mean, one of the reasons the devil hates the human race is because we have the ability to reproduce. So he attacked that, the marriage institution, and the Sabbath. Those two things that came out of Eden. And uh, so, anyhow, uh, now, this week we've considered uh, the relationship between the Declaration of Independence and the message of the three angels, uh, Revelation 14. And what we saw in the Declaration that uh, God is ne- named, he's called the creator, the lawmaker, the judge, pro- protector, and the source of all rights. And we have the same thing in the three angels' messages. You have God, he's the creator, we have the law of God, judgment, protector, and he's the source of all rights. And uh, <clears throat> we, we talked about how that, how that uh, God established the United States of America uh, in order for the message of the three angels to go to the world. It could not have happened anywhere else. It had to be a country that believed in liberty of conscience, separation of church and state, and this is, this is what's happened. Yes? Could you just very quickly um, extract from the three of those messages where you pulled out God as being a protector and source of all rights? Yeah, uh, in the, uh, oh, the source, well, the source of all right uh, of all rights, when we talked about justification by faith, the, the faith of Jesus, that's what Eleanor is talking about. She says the, the, the uh, justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity. And in justification by faith, you have liberty of conscience. And so the third angel's message is dealing with liberty of conscience. That is, and that's something that God always protects. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, can, uh, we can have our religious freedom taken from us, but we cannot have our liberty of conscience taken unless we give it. God protects, uh, protects that. Some people die, but they, are, they, do, they will not give up their liberty of uh, conscience. They may not may be able to practice, they may be on the run, but that, that's, uh, that is the power of God. That, We've got to be stubborn about that, to take a stand for Jesus Righteous and his his um, uh, witness that we need to be of him because yeah. our flesh is going to tell us otherwise. So yeah, right. that's true. Another source of God's uh, right is the Ten Commandments. Here are they who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So you got the faith of Jesus and you got the commandments of God. We cannot go to the law and get that uh, the righteousness but it actually protects us. You know, like, it encircles us. We have to go outside of it in order for the devil it to... It protects you against dogs, too. Against what? <laughs> what? I went out with the literature band. You see how many times I was delivered? Four times huh. from a dog, and the woman said, why didn't he bite you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you. Yeah. I, I'm going to... Oh, you got me going canvassing, on this one, too. Canvassing. I was canvassing, too, and I had, a, had one of these books. I had a, carried a... Uh, Ton of books, <laughs> one of these big, big ones, you know. And I was, I was really down this one morning. I was just, you know, kind of going like this. There was a little incline up to a house, 
And I was kind of stumbling over my feet in a huge German shepherd. <laughs> and I thought, and right there, and I said, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I, I tell you, and that dog, it, it, he, he, he laid down. And, and it was like he was being pushed down. And so I thought, well, I can get, I can get going. And so I took a step. <laughs> and I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, lie down and shut up or something like that. And that dog went down on his flat again and then growling. <laughs> and I started walking again. And he got up and walked with me all the way up. Then there was a big sign on the gate that says, beware of a dog. <laughs> but I know that God, God had protected me. was friskier all day long. Yeah, I was awake. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Oops. Uh, okay. So. Uh, Source of all rights, is liberty of conscience. Pardon me. Source of all rights, there is liberty of conscience. Essentially, is what. Yes. Saying. Yeah. But I'm saying, yeah, and but the faith of Jesus is the power of God. It's justification by faith, and the law of God is uh, is protection also. We need both. We need the faith of Jesus, and we need we need the law of God. And we'll look at this a little more as we get into it today. Um, we considered how the second paragraph of the Declaration establishes the fact that there that three of God's basic rights are for every human being. And this is what they said: We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Now, as we've talked earlier, before the pursuit of happiness, there must be liberty. Before liberty, there must be light, life. And so this whole thing in the, uh, this is a revelation of God's character because it, they, they acknowledge that this is a creative process that God has given to the human race. And before there can be life, there has to be justification. And so if we go to Romans 5.18, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So you have justification, then you have life, then you have liberty, then you have the pursuit of happiness. It doesn't say happiness, it says the pursuit of happiness. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, we're happy by pursuing it, by helping other people. Whoso keepeth the law, happy is he. Pardon me? Whoso keepeth the law, happy is he. Yes, exactly. This, and, this justification of life, uh, many years ago when I came to church, they taught that part. Mm -hmm. It talks part of condemnation coming upon all men by the act. Yeah. And then they dropped it about 15 years ago. They didn't, they didn't put it in there. Just kept talking about the condemnation coming upon us. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's easy, it's easy to talk about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, we already find yeah. out about what yeah. So again, the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message, and liberty of conscience is the essence of faith. Remember, we had Luther's statement from Daubigny. He says, I've been laboring for uh, freedom of conscience. Um, he said it's the very essence of faith. Ellen White quotes that four times in, uh, in, uh, in her writings. And, uh, and so liberty of conscience is the essence of justification by faith. Now, in addition to these rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, we have another right, which is 
the hope we have in Christ because we are sinners. We have a right to claim a Savior. <laughs> that's from Testimonies of Ministers 264. I think that's a tremendous thought. Um, then from the second paragraph of the Declaration, we're going to go to the 27th, the 30th, and the last one is the 32nd uh, paragraph. By the way, I've mentioned, I listened to a man one time, and he said we ought to read the Declaration of Independence every day until we know what it says. And I think it's, it's not very long. It won't take very long to read it. And there are principles there that God has put in. These are constitutional principles. And we're being sidetracked today on these very things. Yes? It says 30, 32. 30, 32nd? 32nd. Oh, I got the wrong one. Yeah, it's paragraph. Yeah, okay. What have I got? Oh, 27th, 30th, and... 22nd, thank you. Yeah, okay. Okay, good. You know, that's the se- boy, this is bad. This is the second mistake I've made. And I mentioned, <laughs> I mentioned, I mentioned. Uh, uh, period of time which we don't have to get into. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I've. Uh, I said, I said last time when I made that mistake, I said, if you believe that, I've got a bridge to sell you. <laughs> okay, now, paragraph 27. He, and speaking of King George, the, the entire document is dealing with him primarily. It's talking about some things that are going on with Britain, but not, not much. He's, he's the one. Um, and he li- they listed a whole catalog of things that were going on at the time. And uh, it says, he is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny already begun with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages and totally unworthy the head of a civilized nation. And then in verse 30, a prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. <laughs> so this is dealing with the king, of King George of, of uh, Britain. And at that time, he was king of the United States also, the colonies. Then in paragraph to, uh, 32, we th- therefore, representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions and for the support of the Declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And I mentioned that they, all of them lost probably everything they had. I mentioned one man in particular who had a beautiful mansion, or it was a mansion, but a nice home, and the Americans had cannon directed at it, and they said, we're not going to blow it down. They thought they could save it, but it was a, it was a headquarter for the, for the British. And they called the man who owned it, and he said, shoot it down. <laughs> so he stood there and watched them as they destroyed his home. And many of them fled. They were in the wilderness for years during that time. If any of them had been caught, they would have been executed as, uh, as you know, criminals. And every one of them would have been, uh, uh, that would have happened uh, uh, to them. But here's a painting of uh, King George and uh, the family of six, his wife. And he was the one that they were having 
problems with, he was having problems with the Americans. Um, by the way, the, the declaration, this was after several years, I think nearly 20 years, where the Americans had been petitioning the British government for uh, um, representation instead of, I mean, with taxation, but they, they, were, they were ready to pay taxes, but they felt it should be represented. And they kept putting the screws on the Americans all the time, drawing more money out, but not giving them any uh, anything in return. But anyhow, we, we considered the Declaration of Independence and the connection of the Three Angels' Messages uh, before. And, but, <clears throat> excuse me, the word we're going to consider in regards to the Declaration of Independence and the Third Angels' Message is the word character. And I got this from reading the... <laughs> the uh, declaration when it talked about the character of, uh, of the king. And so we're going to consider, the, we've already considered his character a bit, and we're going to consider the character of the beast in the image, and also then of God. We read this one before, a prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. And in Revelation chapter 14, verse 9, we looked at that before. I'm going to read a Douay version of this uh, in chapter 13, 16, 17, the same. Um, here is what they have to say. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man shall adore the beast and his image and receive his character in his forehead or in his hand, uh, or this goes, uh, he shall make all both... Uh, Oh, this goes to chapter 13, sorry. Uh, make all, both little and great, rich and poor, freemen and bondmen, to have a character in their right hand or their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell that he, except he that has the character or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, the, the word that's used is keregma, and it is used, it, um, first it was used as an instrument of stamping thinking, and then it changed to different, uh, different means, and finally it made the, the character of a person. But this word occurs seven times in the book of Revelation, and it's in the sense of a mark which a person receives as ordered by the second beast. He's the one that uh, is going to establish this. And the first was, a, as I mentioned, a stamping tool. It was the tool itself. Then it became the mark or the impress uh, from the tool placed on a document or on some other object. It could be wood or steel. Well, the other would have iron, I guess, but, but something for ownership. That was the idea. And uh, it became a mark. Um, I mentioned that. Finally, it became a person's distinguishing uh, qualities. So John in Revelation makes a contrast between the mark of the beast and the seal of God and we have that in chapter 7, verse 2, and also 14, verse 1, where it talks about the seal of God being the name of God, and again, which is character. And he, his, his seal is placed in the forehead, the same, as the same place where the mark is placed. It's, I've seen people saying, uh, well, it's, something's written on the forehead. No, it's inside the forehead. <laughs> it's on, it's on, the, uh, on the inside, the character. And so, in the, those who refuse the mark of the beast will be known by patience, the faith of Jesus, and commandment keeping. These are the three distinguishing marks of, of the 
I think of the entire book of Revelation. But we need to remember we're not saved by the law. We cannot be saved by keeping the law in and of ourselves. And we're not saved from keeping the law. If we keep the prepositions in order, we'll have no problem. We are saved in order to keep the law. Okay? Yes. yes. So does the law then tell us whether or not we are saved? Oh yeah, it drives us to Christ. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't save us. There's no, no power. That's clear. Yeah. That's clear, but then if it drives us to Christ, then it would tell us whether or not we've been driven to the true Christ. Isn't that right? Exactly. Because well, he that hated his brother to murder, you know, yep. yep. No, I think we read this before, but let's read it again. Chapter 3 of, uh, of Romans is fantastic because uh, um, he's talking about the law and he's talking about the righteousness of God. In verse 21, starting 21, he says, Now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law. And the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is through the faith of Jesus. So if we have the genuine article of righteousness, the law becomes a testimony, a witness in the heavenly sanctuary on our behalf. That's the distinguishing feature between uh, the, the the message of righteousness. Most messages of righteousness by faith is antinomianism. You're justified, but you keep on sinning. But the message that God has given, He will bring us always into harmony with His law. And uh, I remember a, a preacher that came to my home one time, one night, he and his elder, and uh, they were there to convert me. And so I said, they knocked on the door, and I'll, I've never understood this. I opened the door a crack, and these two men were standing <laughs> inside the door. I don't know how they did it, but anyhow, they decided they were going to save me. So I gave them all the right answers. Are you saved? Yes. And it went through the different things. Well, how do you know you're saved? And I told them my experience. I I had served time in prison, and that's where I accepted Christ. And so I shared that with them, uh, but he wasn't satisfied. And I, and I would not argue with him. It was like these imaginary uh, mulberry bushes. <laughs> he would chase me around one way. I just keep going. He came the other way. I just I tried to avoid uh, even discussing with him. And finally, about after about an hour of that, I said, "Now you have you admit that I've been saved." Oh yes, yes. But uh, you don't have to keep that Sabbath. <clears throat> you don't have to keep all the law. I said, "You know." There must be some, you must have a problem with one of those commandments. Which one is it? I said, is it the 10th commandment? Are you coveting another man's belongings or another man's wife? Or I said, uh, I started, just went up. That's one you're keeping. Huh? And you went to another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, he didn't say yes. He just, he just listened. Finally, I got to the one with uh, adultery. I said, are you unfaithful to your wife and you want to throw the whole law, the law out because you want to continue that sin. And he became furious. He was, I was sitting in a chair here. He was sitting in a couch. His elder was sitting over here. This guy came off the floor. His feet were in the air. He said, let's get out of here! <laughs> and, and, and out they went. And I learned later that, that his big uh, goal in life, whenever he heard an Adventist preacher was coming to town, he was going to get them. going to either, either save them or befuddle them. And that, that was his life. That was his goal in life. You know. 
but he didn't get it done that night. <laughs> I, I told what I told him. I said, "Listen, I told you, and you you admitted that I hate. I told. I said I hated all law. It didn't matter to me. It was divine or human. That didn't make any difference to me. But when God brought me into harmony with His law, I became in harmony with man's law. I I used to hate cops. I had one come up to me with a with a gun. <clears throat> I said, "Don't pull that gun. One of us is going to die. It's not going to be me." <laughs> but, and he says, I know it, I know it. <laughs> and he walked out, the, out of the building. <laughs> so, so, but he should, there was another guy. Oh, I, I can't get into all this stuff. Well, I was, I was, put, I was put on, uh, pro, not probation, that was later on, uh, parole, I guess. Um, what do you call it when you're in good behavior in, in prison? You, you get to go out and... Well, you get like a uh -huh. You get a privilege. Isn't that privilege? Privilege, huh? Like no, no, I was still in, but I, I would go out and. You get to some no, 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 I'm still. Huh? No, no, I didn't even get that. <laughs> but there were two of us. Benny was he'd been in six months before me for transportation of stolen vehicles across state lines. So he was he was going to the federal pen, and uh, he. Uh, we were outside, and I, all I could think of was, I, I want to run. He read my mind. I never told him. He said, Finneman, don't do it. What do you mean, don't do it? He said, you want to run. Don't do it. <laughs> he said, that Texan hates your guts, and he, he wants to kill you. <laughs> so I looked around, and I, I couldn't see him. He said, no, you're not going to see him, but he's, he's laying for you. And uh, so anyhow, I, I stayed, stayed there. <laughs> Who was the Texan? Was that an officer? Or yeah, he was an officer. Yeah, yeah. He was a... It was a uh, county sheriff, deputy. I always but, dealt with the law here. We're not hmm. saved by the law. Uh -huh. We're not saved from the law. Right. I told them that the law is to be written in the heart. It's not something you try to keep. Yeah. On your own, yeah. You get Christ, you get to fulfill the law. Unless you resist, yeah. he's going to write it in your heart. And so yeah. uh, these people that say they want to do away with the law, then I go, if they do that, I say, well, you, have you covered anything? I just yeah, good, yeah. Just go backwards. Okay, no, I you know, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure the man was not guilty of what the things that were pointing out, but he knew he was. He had been had when he got to the fourth commandment. <laughs> so, because that was the one he, he he didn't like that one at all. But uh, anyhow, so commandment keeping is summed up: love to God and love to man. We agree with that. Yeah. So we love those who love us. We love those who don't love us, and we do good to those who do good to us, and we do good to those who try to do us in. Isn't that right? The way it's going to be in the last days. When well, you can do with conditional love, the one that says love those who love you, but uh, to, to do to love those who don't love you, it takes a gospel. It's not going to come from yeah. human. That again, we just want to get a pat on the back, if you pat my yeah. back. You know, yeah, no, the Spirit of God will bring yeah. us into harmony. Bring into harmony. Uh, there's no doubt about it, no doubt. Um, so, we need now we need to go to Revelation 13 to learn about the beast and his image and the mark. Um, here we have uh, the beast out of the sea, and this is a combination, an amalgamation of the beasts of Daniel chapter 7. And we have the mouth of a lion, the feet of a bear, the body of a leopard, and the ten horns of divided Europe, or the, of Rome. And in this, it's an interesting way that 
uh, it's been structured. In the book of Daniel, you have the lion first, then the bear, then the leopard, then the ten horns. You come to Revelation 13, you have the ten horns first, and the leopard, the bear, and the lion. And each one of these tells us something about these, uh, the characteristic of this. Um, I, I like especially the, uh, these two here. Uh, the feet of the bear was the law of the Medes and Persians. It could not be changed. But God saved his people, <laughs> uh, Daniel, out of that. But that, we're going to run into that very thing. It, the law of the Medes and Persians will not be changed except God does the changing. And in the, the leopard, Greece was known as the educational leader of the world. In fact, the, the, Greek, the Greek language is the best language in the world. It is, it's, it's very complicated sometimes, but they had, they had refined it. There's no language like it. But in that, their educational process, the number one thing they, they claim that you learn is by doubting. The biblical principle is we learn by faith. It is through faith that we understand. And I remember I had uh, I studied this in Jones and Wagner, and uh, forgot about. Well, I didn't forget about it, but just didn't have any use for it. And one day I was I was giving a, stu a Bible studies to a group of people. There were Catholics and Baptists and Adventists. I don't know what all they were. And this one one day a man came in, uh, first time, and only time. And I, we were dealing with creation. I said, "How do we know that God created?" the world's by his word. This man just screamed, by blind faith! <laughs> and I, the Lord had been had me study for two weeks on the concept of learning. And so I stood, I stood, I had a chalkboard, and I, I put a, uh, an A up there. I said, what is this? Well, it's an A. Very good. But I put a B up there, and I said, what's that? What's a B? <laughs> I put a C up there. What's that? That's a C. I said, very good. I said, now how did you learn that? Did you doubt that A is A until you learned that A is A, B is B? He could not answer. And finally I told him, I said, listen, you learned, he was, he was a pharmacology um, doctoral student at university, not, not an Adventist, he was an atheist. And I said, you started well. Either your mom or your teacher taught you by faith that A is A and B is B and C is C. Once you learn that by faith, then you could put sentences, paragraphs, chapters together. You could, you, you could learn from, from that principle. But I said, as you, from the time that you, <clears throat> in your educational process, the further you went in education, the more you learned to doubt. And he, uh, he had no answer whatsoever, and he, didn't, he never came back. But I did hear that he went to, I think it was Denver, and, was, and practiced there, and I heard he had given up the, his fight against the Bible. And whether that had anything, I assume that it did. I think God was working on his heart. But he was, he was really furious there for a while. <clears throat> and, uh, but was, and I've used that, by the way. I've used that. I can't, I've got to get going <laughs> instead of telling uh, stories. But uh, I was at a country fair one time. With, we had a booth there at the church. And I was walking back from lunch with a guy from India. And he had, uh, uh, you know, broken English. Very good, but, uh, but it, you could tell he was a foreigner. Yeah. So I said, I'm going to try it out with this guy. So as we were walking, I said, uh, what's, your, what's your native tongue? And he told me. 
And I said, well, what, what do you do for a living? He said, I teach English at the college over here. Said, oh, really? And I said, how, what's, the, what's the basis for learning? How would you learn? Oh, doubt. you got to doubt before you can learn. And I said, well, did you do that with the English alphabet? Did you learn, that you did, did you learn by doubting that A is A and B is B? He said, no. I said, how did you learn it? Hmm. Somebody told me. I said, did you believe them? Yes. <laughs> and so it demolished his whole argument. It, it works all the time, as far as I've seen it. You know. <laughs> but, That's kind of a simple lesson. Though, you know? Yeah, it's very simple. Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, that beast uh, is a picture of ecclesiastical tyranny. That's its character. So here we have a contrast between the beast and the Lamb of God. In fact, chapter 13, verse 8, that's the central part of chapter 13. It's the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. Everyone will worship the beast who does not worship the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. That is the crux of the whole thing. So we've got the contrast. <clears throat> the mark of the beast is placed in the mind of the lost. The seal of God is placed in the mind of the redeemed. And uh, <clears throat> both have to do with character. The mark of the beast means his character. The seal of God means God's character. So the sign or the seal, this is from Illinois, of God is revealed in the observance of the seventh-day Sabbath, the Lord's memorial of creation. The mark of the beast is the opposite of this, revealed in the observance of the first day of the week. The mark of the beast is exactly what it has been proclaimed to be, but not all in regard to this matter is yet understood nor will it be understood until the unrolling of the scroll. Wow. So we still don't understand what the mark of the beast fully is, but it is character. And uh, can you picture that one? Um, but the coming back to the stamp idea, <clears throat> um, the stamp, the seal of God has to do with his name, which is the seal, which is the love of God. That is the character of God. And the enemy hates it. And uh, Colossians tells us, above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And it lists several of the principles involved in that. Then this is interesting from sons and daughters. Those who love God have the seal of God in their foreheads. So it's more than Sabbath. The sa if, we have, if we have the love of God, the righteousness of God within us, it will be testified by our lifestyle, but it's, that is the seal that's in the mind, the love of God. And that will bring the church together and all, and all those who believe outside the church. It's a difference of uh, self-righteousness and God-righteousness. Yes. And these are the two minds that are clashing in the last days. Mind against mind, principle against principle. Love against a, a counterfeit. It, it's going to be. There's going to. It's the love that the enemy um, tries to pawn on us is a, is a um, kind of a sweet, sweet feeling. <laughs> but it's it's not um, it's not the genuine article. But some people are taking taken in by that. So again, the the contrast in symbols, um, beasts and God's lamb. The beasts are wild and savage, savage amalgamated monsters. 
God's lamb is represented as gentleness, innocence, dependence, and sacrifice. And the war of the lamb is that he conquers all these ravaging beasts. <laughs> Why is that? They're embodied in sin, and sin will eventually be destroyed. But the lamb's principles are eternal. And so these beasts have no chance against the lamb, since Calvary at least. Hmm? Sin is like a self-destructive principle. It is, that's right. You can't destroy it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. So we have the Lamb in uh, Revelation 11, or uh, 13, 11, starting with verse 11. And <clears throat> a picture of the United States coming up, young, gentle, all of these principles of the Lamb were found in, in that, the documents, uh, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, in the Declaration of Independence. All of these are principles of the Lamb. But we know, and we see what's happening today, there are people in high places that are trashing the uh, Constitution yep. and the Declaration. That includes presidents. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I think I mentioned the other day, Woodrow Wilson was probably the first one who attacked the uh, Constitution verbally. And uh, others have done the same. Many of them are not following it, both Republican and, and Democrat. Yes. Well, a lot of people will say the United States is a Christian nation. And yeah. By principle, biblical principle is true as far as the way the government set up is what you're saying there. Mm -hmm. However, to say that Christians dominate the United States, <clears throat> it's, it's supposed to be free for all different religions. Yes, or no religion at all. Yeah, yeah, so you can't say that it is a Christian religion yeah. other than his biblical-based principles that, yeah. that govern. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't, if it's it, truly that way, then all should be welcome. Yes. Should be Coming in the right way. Coming in the right way. The people used to love to come here, and they would, they would become a part of America, but we're not having that today. We're having separate groups within, and uh, uh, sometimes you go into an area where you, you sound like you're in a foreign country. I was in Florida, and a lot of Cubans, and a lot of them are, are good people. I'm not saying that against them, but I was stopped at a gas station, and there was nobody that could speak English, <laughs> and I wasn't speaking uh, Spanish. <laughs> but I mean, they're not, they're not the only ones, some from Africa, some from Europe. It used to be that when they came in, even if they had churches, let's take the Germans, for instance, or the Irish, uh, when they came in, they, they would have a local community, and they still have them in the large cities like New York and Boston and places like this. And they speak their mother tongue. They worship in the mother tongue, the first generation. The second generation usually begins to infiltrate, become a part of the fabric of America. But I don't think that's happening today. It is to a degree, but uh, more of a separation rather than uh, adherence. Okay, the Lamb, again, depicts a nation that is gentle and fair, righteous and just. So we have this little Lamb, and there's not very much about him in verse <laughs> chapter 13, because you've got another beast coming in behind him, and so he may look like a Lamb, but he speaks like a devil. And that is going to be the... Uh, problem that we're beginning to see. So the character of Christ, the, the pearl of great price to illustrate this. I think it's, I've got the verses in here. Um, 
the um, the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, Matthew wrote, "The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold it all that he had and bought it. The pearl of great price. In this pearl, in this parable, the pearl is not a gift; it is of high value." It is bought with a price requiring extreme sacrifice. So you have the activity here of the merchant seeking pearls, finding them, finding one of supreme value. He sold everything he had in order to buy it. Who is that merchant? That is Jesus Christ. Seeking pearls, the whole human race. Was he successful? Yes. He found what he was looking for. One pearl is you. Are you of supreme value to Christ? Absolutely. Costly. Christ sold everything that he had. He sacrificed his very life and bought the human race. Redeemed it. Now, a double significance. Ellen White talks about this in Christ's Topic Lessons. The parable of the merchant man seeking goodly pearls has a double significance. It applies not only to men as seeking the kingdom of heaven, but to Christ as seeking his lost inheritance. Yes. Well, this is interesting. I was just, just thinking while you were saying, talking about Christ seeking the lost pearl, buying it. And, yeah. and the contrast is, is, the, is the counsel to Laodicea. Um, where he says, I counsel you to buy pearls. Mm-hmm. And he talks, you know, of course he's saying that they're not even, the church is not even knocking on the door seeking for Christ. Mm-hmm. He's saying, I'm at the door. He's Christ. knocking, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right so it's, it's kind of... Yeah. Well, the, the, our, the application of even of this is that uh, we're, we seek Christ as a, as a great pearl. But she d- deals with both of them. I'd say Matthew, if you looked at, I think you just looked at Matthew, though, it pictures Christ coming to find us. And, uh, but it's been interpreted many times as we are seeking the great pearl, which there's a truth in that. But, uh, uh, but I, I like the fact that Christ is searching for us. Christ has found his pearl of great price in lost, perishing souls. He sold all that he had to come into possession, even engaged to do the work and run the risk of losing his own life in the conflict and that's in the Paulson collection, uh, page 400. Now, then she goes on. How then should man regard his fellow man? Christ, the heavenly merchantman, seeking goodly pearls, saw in lost humanity the pearl of price. In man, defiled and ruined by sin, he saw the possibilities of redemption. God looked upon humanity, not as vile and worthless. He looked upon us in Christ. He saw it as it might become through his redeeming love. He collected all the riches of the universe and laid them down in order to buy the pearl. And Jesus, having found it, resets it in his diadem. For they shall be as the stones of a crown lifted up as an ensign upon his land. Zechariah 9.6 They shall be mine saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. Christ offered lesson 118. Now here, here is faith in God. This is talking about Christ. Christ had faith in God 
And he also has faith in you and me. See that? Here is faith in God. This is the faith of Jesus. And faith in men. Christ would never have given his life for the human race if he had not faith in the souls for whom he died. He knew that a large number would respond to the love he had expressed for humanity. It is not every heart that responds, but every heart may and can, if it will, respond to that love that is without a parallel. This is a letter she wrote to her son, Edson, and his wife. I've heard uh, somebody, I don't know where it was, they said that Jesus is the greatest believer. That's right. <laughs> he provides That's... the greatest example of faith. Yeah. He believes in us. Yeah. Which is hard to... Yep. You know, when you're, when you're working with kids, you know, and some of us have been raised in a situation where you always put down, you know, you're dumb, you know, you're, you're, you can't do this, you can't do that. And kids grow up with that. And, uh, and, and it, they become... Pardon? Huh? Yeah, exactly. There are some who resist that and begin to fight. I was one who did that. Uh, I, I used to fight in the, in the ring as well as uh, in the street. And, and golden gloves, and and I never I never lost, and I'm not bragging. I'm just uh, I was determined that I would uh, that I would win. And my dad used to race a car to get to the place where I was fighting, so he could bet against me. <laughs> and I knew, yeah, and I knew what he was doing, and I knew I was not going to lose. <laughs> I refused to do it. <laughs> yeah, I know. By the way, and I, I whipped him, nearly killed him when I was 17 years old. He was a tough man. I don't even know why I'm telling you this. But, anyhow, but I did lead him to Christ before he died. I didn't want to even go see him. Uh, I was a Seventh-day Adventist preacher. My brother called me. He said, you need to come home. Dad's going to be dead in about a month. I said, let him die in peace. No, you need to come home. I said, no, I'm not coming. <laughs> I said, whenever we get together, it's just like oil and water. There's no mixing there. He said, you need to come. I said, I'm not coming. You are coming. Now, he was a younger brother, so he was talking to me the wrong way. <laughs> but anyhow, I talked to Shirley. She says, we're going. <laughs> and we went. We walked, we walked into his home. On, it was a Sabbath afternoon. And his wife, it was not my mother, another, another woman, she was playing the organ, playing some songs. And so Shirley and I began to sing with her. I couldn't even talk to my dad. He was sitting in a chair and, and just, uh, I, I didn't know what to say to him. And... Uh, we started singing, and he said, uh, uh, I want you to sing that song at my funeral. And so that gave me an opportunity to sit down and talk with him. And I'll never forget, that was, uh, <clears throat> the next, that was Sabbath. Then Sunday we had a, uh, a living wake where you know, you, the family meets together and friends, and we were in a park in another town, I was, and I was heading back to where I was working. And uh, we sat, we talked with family members, and for some reason, my dad and I got in a car, the back seat of a car. We began to talk like we had never talked before. <laughs> I was so emotionally shook up that I couldn't go back with the family. He t they had to take him home because he was getting, getting weak. And I watched the car as it turned around the block. You could see all the way around. And his eyes were glued to me, and my eyes were glued to him. Wow. And Shirley and I were heading out. Uh, to go another direction. I said, I need to go back and talk to him one more time. And so we did. Walked into the kitchen. He started cussing. What in the world are you doing here? <laughs> and I said, Dad, I've come to ask you a question. 
I said, you don't, you're a dead man. You don't have much longer to live. And have you ever given your life to Christ? He said, no. I said, would you like to know what he says about salvation? He thought for a bit. He said, yeah, I think I would. Now, he had called me a communist when I became a Seventh-day Adventist. <laughs> years later. Not then, but, but uh, so I gave him a Bible study on salvation. And I said, that's what the Bible says about uh, salvation. Would you like to accept Christ? He looked at me and he said, yes, I think I would. We knelt down, both weeping. He gave his heart to Christ. And then we got up. He walked me through the kitchen to the door. We were leaving. He threw his arms around me. He said, I'll see you again. <laughs> and, and we knew we would not see you. He died within a month. And uh, <laughs> he had the funeral in a Catholic uh, church, and I preached the funeral. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. I had my wife, uh, I think a lot of people know, I lost her three, three weeks ago. Uh -huh. um, the basic thing is that Lord had me read her poetry to her, so I read it to her. And I said, well, that's good. No, you got to keep reading it to her. Yeah. So I read it a hundred times in wow. seven months she's at the nursing home. Hmm. Well, the thing is, Satan can't overcome a testimony. That's this right. is why God had me do that, because I was talking to my wife every time. Satan would say to my wife, why do you keep reading that over and over again? Mm -hmm. And then I said, well, this is your words, dear, from 1978. Yep. So yep. that and the hospital nurses, she came back to Christ. Mm -hmm. so that's Tremendous. Both well, grieving and happy. So yeah, that. tremendous. Which is an interesting mixture. I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. All righty. The Lord is at work in many ways to win your hearty confidence. Again, this was the letter to, uh, to uh, her son, Edson. And <clears throat> in nothing does he take more delight than to have you unburdened, come to him for light and strength. And he has promised that you shall find rest to your soul. And then one other thought, the hand that never lets go. We're probably, we're about out of time, but we'll finish this. In John 6, uh, 37, there are a double, a double negative. In the English language, if you have a double negative, what does that mean? Positive, yes. In the Greek, there are two different words. Both are no, no. No, never in this verse and in chapter 10. And so uh, uh, it's not, we don't see it in the uh, English translation, but uh, it, I use this. Have you ever tried before and failed? Probably all agreement here. But failure does not mean final defeat. Faith comes by the word of God, then grasp his promise him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Cast yourself at his feet with a cry, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. You can never perish while you do this. Never. Those are ages, 429. And then we can, be as, we can have the assurance of being as safe as though already inside the city of God. Here it is. The message from God to me, for you, is him that... Cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. If you have nothing else to plead before God, but this one promise from your Lord and Savior, you have the assurance that you will never, <clears throat> never be turned away. It may seem to you that you are hanging upon a single promise, but appropriate that one promise, and it will open to you the whole treasure house of the riches of the grace of Christ. Cling to that promise and you are safe. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. 
Present this assurance to Jesus and you are as safe as though inside the city of God. <laughs> this is a lady, a Lizzie Inns is her name, and she was going through a really hard time at the time. And Ellen White wrote that letter to her. And then there's another one <clears throat> in uh, Testimonies Ministry, the last chapter of Testimonies. Um, that's where this comes from. Jesus declares that he that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. That is, there is no possibility of my casting him out. Whoops, what happened? Uh-oh. <laughs> Maybe I, let me go, oh, I, there, phew, okay, I thought I lost it. That is, there is no possibility of my casting him out, for I have pledged my word to receive, receive him. This was written within the last year of her life, and you find it in the last chapter of Testimonies of Ministry. So she was giving hope, again, to a lady who was, uh, was struggling with doubt and, and that type of thing. But the character, the, the, the character we, we talked about the character of the King of England, the character of Christ, and we should be talking about the character of the remnant, but it's referring the, uh, uh, re receiving the, the character of God. And the, the character of God is that of love, and it, it's something that we cannot earn, but he chases us until he finds us. He doesn't force us into heaven. I, he puts us in a corner sometime, but, uh, but he will never force us. That's why be, liberty of conscience and justification by faith in Christ alone have to go together. Once we believe, we're set free, free indeed with the conscience, and then we experience the other benefits. Uh, I, that was a period of cheap grace where um, I understood a lot of what Jesus' love is, the faith, the identity uh -huh. faith, and so forth. But I wasn't overcoming internally on sins. They kept coming back and I'd fallen again. Mm -hmm. Because I had a loose approach to the idea of Christ overcoming these things. I just thought, stay in the first compartment, confess them all and all. Now the crisis in the second compartment. How does that, Jerry, apply to maybe a number of things God has already changed you on? Uh, but in that context of faith, that you're looking at faith in Jesus, you're expecting him to do this in you. Mm -hmm. But it, it can be discouraging sometimes because a couple of things keep coming back and think they're gone. Mm -hmm. And so give me a little idea all this faith works in that area. I mean, I'm thinking he'll spank you or do whatever he needs to do because you'll never be left. I see that. That uh, uh, I, sometimes I don't believe how my mind believe. I, I have that. Yeah, well, that's that's a tremendous prayer. So the Lord's going to get me there. Sometimes it yeah. doesn't look like it because I, yeah. I think, well, I'm getting the victory in that. Boom, I go right back. Yeah, yeah. Fall again. There, <clears throat> yeah, we have weaknesses. Well, let, yeah. let's, get, let's consider... Uh, uh, David and, and uh, Abraham are the two living examples in the New Testament of justification by faith. Abraham was a liar, an adulterer, and he lied twice, two different times, Pharaoh, and uh, said, you're, you're told he, he didn't have the courage to talk to Pharaoh, told his wife, you tell him that you're my sister. <laughs> was that true? Okay, he was using truth as a vehicle for a lie. And he was kicked out of Egypt, and then it happened again in the southern part of Canaan. And, uh, and this man was caught off guard as the Pharaoh was. But it's interesting that when, when, God, or when, uh, when God spoke to that king, he said, don't lay a hand on that woman, or it'll be your life. He said, I didn't know anything about this. And God says, I will have my prophet pray for you. 
that was Abraham. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And uh, you got it there? <laughs> yeah. After he moved this, up, he <laughs> And then, uh, but then, and you have David, an adulterer, a liar, a murderer. And, uh, but it's in, in the book of Kings, there's two places. One, God is talking to Solomon. The other time, he's talking to Jeroboam. I think it was Jeroboam or Rehoboam. Jeroboam. And uh, in both places, he said, if you will, um, if you obey my commandments as David your father did, who did not break them, you will rule. Yeah. So like what is it talking about? We know, yeah. But we know that he sinned yeah. afterwards. But why does God say he looked at him as though he'd never sinned? You made a, read a statement from Steps to Christ the other day. It fits in there. Justification, you think of it this way. It's just as if I had never sinned. Just as if I had always obeyed. <laughs> that is the meaning of it. So God does not dig up our past. Now we may stumble... And that there's no excuse for no, it, but there are we, there are weaknesses. Yeah, that, weakness. and, but God will eventually well, give I us it. To overcome these weaknesses. Good, the you will. It's gonna. You it's will. Gonna, By going, faith in happen. Christ alone. I yeah. Have to stop believing that. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then the the, the advantage of the, of overcoming is that that sin doesn't plague us, no, it, and it doesn't rule. Yeah. It doesn't rule. You're yeah. Fine. I'm only falling in it. I'm not walking in it. Yeah. But, I, but I have discovered from my short life that sometimes it's the little sins that lead to the bigger sins. Yeah. And I find that that um, I have to eat a simple, plain, boring no. diet mm -hmm. to be an overcomer mm -hmm. in some of those other things that were a problem. And I didn't realize mm -hmm. there was a connection until... Mm -hmm. And the reason I was doing it... I was eating that way in order to, um, for better health and losing weight, yeah, and I yeah. found success in that. But then I also noticed that when we got together as a family, uh, I put that aside and ate whatever yeah. was there. Yeah, and those sins just like came back on the same same day that I started eating all those other, mm -hmm. you know, great yeah. tasty. Those chocolate yeah, yeah, right. Feature yeah. lower passions. Yeah. Like many, yeah, many times, and the devil gets us sometimes in a weakness, of, I mean, of circumstances. Now, we, but again, we have to make that choice. And it's, God is, what, what amazes me is that he wants us to look at the temptation, look it right in the face, say, I'd rather have God than that. <laughs> Even though we may think, we may, well, I mean, the desire is there. Maybe, I, I would like to do that, but God, and I've told God one time, if you don't stop me, I'm going to do it. And, and I've seen him work in my life where he's put a stop to it. You start but, choosing more and more. On yeah. that, pretty soon it becomes a habit. Of, of yes. Against, yeah. I wish we had time to deal with it, but it looks like we need to need to quit. Yeah. <laughs> People are waiting for. It. Shall we? Shall we pray? Yeah. Father, thank you for the time we've been able to share here together. We pray this will not be the end. That we'll each search the scriptures with a whole heart and mind and allow you to teach us day by day, moment by moment, in living in that time when we need to truly know you as never before. Thank you so much for not giving up on us. May we not give up on you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit 
www.audioverse.org.